You may be seated as Ronnie comes to read the scripture. I'll be reading from Matthew 23, 1 through 7, uh, and also verses 23 through 28. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do, do and observe what they tell you, but do not, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor and feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Matthew 23, 1 through 7, and also 23 through 28. This is Ronnie Hakeem, one of our summer interns. And uh, I think we've got a picture to put up on the screen. Um, Ronnie taking some of our students out. If you can make that out. Tell us what's going on in the picture there, Ronnie. You, you had some students downtown Winston-Salem. Yeah, so um, every Thursday we're planning on going evangelizing, and it's just like made my heart so happy seeing the youth give their yes to God and seeing God use their yes in insane and mighty ways, and it's just my heart's desire to see the Great Commission uh, just stressed this summer so that they may be able to take that uh, into the new semester, and it's just part of their daily lifestyle, just sharing Jesus. We're so excited about that. Ron, Ronnie is an evangelist, if you couldn't tell. He's got a zeal for sharing the gospel with others. Tell me how you got started sharing the gospel with other students up at uh, up in Boone at Appalachian. You're doing that on the campus, right? Yeah, on App State's campus. So it's God flipped my life upside down last year, and ever since then, I've just been giving him my yes. And I was like, God, whatever it is you want to do, do it through me. And ever since then, he's just been giving me opportunities left and right and insane time. He's just sharing the gospel with random people. Uh, and then I prayed for a, a godly community app. And it's just a bunch of us got together. It was like four or five people just wanting to share the gospel on App State's campus. And, you know, it's a super secular campus. Uh, and our prayer was, God, we want this campus to be known as a Christian campus. So we started going out with a whiteboard with just different questions every week, like who is Jesus? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? And we just asked students if they want to put up a tally on the board. And it just brings up so many conversations. And this semester, this past spring semester, he's been answering that prayer of God. We want this campus to be a Christian campus. We've just been seeing crazy testimonies left and right, random salvations on Sanford Mall. And he's truly answering that prayer. And, um, we've seen the group grow. Like every time we go evangelizing now, we have to split up into two different groups of how many people, you know, want to go out and share the gospel, which makes my heart so happy. Well, we're proud of you, Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie and <clears throat> you just, um, 
We, we've got some interns uh, with our church this summer, students from, from college. I, Drew's been up here leading worship. You'll hear from others in the coming weeks. But I want you to join me in just praying for what God's doing among our students. Father, we stand before you as your church now in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the work you're doing among young men and young women who have a zeal for you. Continue to pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. Lord, bring forth much fruit this summer as they're serving you here in our church. We bless them and pray your peace and protection and favor be upon them. In the wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, Ronnie. Appreciate that very much. And thank you all for joining us today. Welcome also to those of you joining us online. It is great to have you with us. And as Joseph uh, noted earlier, we're set up for summer block party, which will be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights this week. It is not too late to register children. You can do that as late as Monday night. After the second uh, service today, all the chairs will come out of uh, the sanctuary here, and there will be hundreds of children in here worshiping the Lord and having fun this week. It's a super exciting time in the life of our church. So uh, keep that in mind. It's not too late to invite someone who has uh, kids to come. Well, we have begun a series this summer that we're calling Truth and Love. Our hope is to be people who hold fast to God's truth as given to us in Scripture with love for all people, even people who may disagree quite strongly with those things we hold dear in the gospel, with the things that we believe. This, I think, is consistent with the example of Jesus, who held fast to the truth of God's word Jesus viewed scripture as God's authoritative truth. Jesus himself said regarding the scripture, thy word is truth. The scripture cannot be broken. Yet Jesus walked in love toward people and ministered to them with compassion and care. You see on the screen the first statement from our vision 2025, which I think is consistent with this. And it reads, in the year 2025, River Oaks is known as a church where people have a strong knowledge of the Bible, that is, we embrace the truth and scripture, God's word, joined with active compassion for those outside of the church. Truth and love, love and truth, following the example of Jesus. Now this morning, we're going to look at a group of people who had much exposure to God's truth in Jesus' time, but had very little of God's love. These were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a group within Judaism, a sect within Judaism. They held very strictly to God's law given to Moses, but they added to his law many of their own traditions. The Pharisees considered themselves the holiest of the holies. The word Pharisee itself means separated one. They consider themselves to be separated from others, living by a higher standard, living by God's laws, God's rules. They were often at odds with Jesus. In fact, there's a lot of space given to the Pharisees in the Gospels. As you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see them engage with Christ in conversation. And you'll see Jesus warning his followers, his disciples, about the teaching of the Pharisees. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
when Jesus used the word leaven to refer to their teaching, he, he was saying it, it spreads. Beware of it. Be aware of it. It's hypocrisy. The passage that Ronnie read for us comes from Matthew chapter 23. It's one of the most extensive passages we have that gives us insight into the Pharisees' beliefs and practices. And I'd like to look at it this morning, see what it teaches us about the Pharisees and what we should avoid as we seek to be people who hold fast to God's truth with love for all people. The Pharisees, first of all, preached the law but did not practice what the law taught. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. What he meant by that was that they teach the law given through Moses. Uh, they, they teach what Moses was given by God, the commandments given him by God. They hold fast to the law. They sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They look like religious people, but they lack sincerity, humility, and love. As Jesus said elsewhere, they're their leaven was hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. They preach, but they don't practice what they preach. Secondly, the Pharisees added many traditions of their own to God's law. There was another sect in Jesus' time uh, with the Pharisees. They were known as the Sadducees. The Sadducees were also a group within Judaism but they held different views. The Sadducees did not believe there was a resurrection after death. They didn't believe in angels. The Sadducees didn't believe in spirits of any type. You might think of them as anti-supernatural people. Michael Reeves, in his book, Evangelical Pharisees, writes this, contrasting the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Where the Sadducees took away from Scripture... The Pharisees added to it, for the Pharisees were mo most emphatically a people of tradition. They held that on Mount Sinai, and that's where Moses went up on the mountain with God, and God gave him his laws for the people. On Mount Sinai, God had given Moses more than the law. He had given a body of traditions that had subsequently been passed down through generations orally. These traditions were known as the, the Mishnah. So the Pharisees held, yes, we believe everything in Scripture, everything given by God to Moses, all the laws given to Moses, but they added to them hundreds of these what they called traditions of the elders to try to put themselves uh, up to a higher standard. They added rules to help people supposedly become more separate, more holy. Here's an example of that found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 15 verses 1 through 6. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Now again, this is one of their traditions added to the law. These were known as the traditions of the elders. They break the tradition of the elders, for they don't wash their hands when they eat. 
These traditions included all types of ritual washings, washings of pots and containers, hand washing, this sort of thing. They don't wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, that is Jesus answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother. That's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you've made void the law of God. Now, what's, what's going on here? Pharisees see Jesus' disciples eating, and they didn't follow their, their hand-washing rules. And they say, why are they breaking the tradition of the elders? Jesus responds, why do you break God's commandment, the, one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, to keep your tradition? Something is implied here by Jesus. That is that honoring your father and your mother may well include meeting their material or financial needs at some point in life. If your parents are uh, destitute, poor, uh, honoring them includes providing for them. We don't often think of that when we think of honoring our father and mother. We think of just obeying what they say and, and speaking kindly to them. But Jesus is implying here that fulfilling that commandment can mean more, can mean taking care of them materially if need be. But the Pharisees had this rule that you could take a, 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 a pot of money, some money you've got, and, and declare that money korban. Korban is a Hebrew word that means gift. You could declare it a gift for God, set apart for God. And that excuses you from taking care of your parents. You can say to your parents, what I might have helped you with, mom and dad, I know you need food, I know you need clothing, what I might have helped you with, well, it's korban, it's dedicated to God. I, I dedicated that to God. So I'm excused from that command because of this rule, this tradition. And so what Jesus is saying is that for the sake of your tradition, you're making void the word of God. And the Pharisees had any number of things like this. They added traditions to their own law. They preached the law and didn't practice it. They added many traditions of their own to the law. Thirdly, as we continue in Matthew 23, we see this. The Pharisees sought to impress people by their religious devotion. Boy, did they like to be seen by others. Jesus said they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They like the honored places in public gatherings. They like to be seen. They like the best seats in the synagogues. They like titles. They like being called by exalted titles like rabbi. But what in the world are phylacteries? Well, you'll see a picture on the screen. On the, on the right side, a phylactery was a small box, a little receptacle, and it would contain, in Jesus' time, tiny parchment scrolls of Hebrew scripture. Verses would come from places like Deuteronomy chapter 6, which says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as 
frontlets between your eyes. A phylactery was a way to do that literally, to literally take these words from Deuteronomy, a tiny piece of parchment, put them in a little leather box strapped around your head. A frontlet means you put it on the forehead. And they'd wear that around to say, I'm literally doing this. And they would strap it on their uh, left arm or their right arm with these leather straps. And Jesus said, the Pharisees, what they do, they make their phylacteries broad. They want the largest possible phylactery so everybody can see they're literally fulfilling these verses from Deuteronomy. Jesus also said they make their fringes long. And that verse also comes from uh, the Old Testament. In, in Numbers 15, there's a passage about having tassels with a blue cord on the corner of a man's garment as just a reminder to keep the commandments of God. They were seeking to impress people. Again, they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They want to be seen. They like the best seats. They like the big titles. This is the nature of a Pharisee, to be seen by others, to impress others. Furthermore, the Pharisees placed outward religious observances over inward heart change. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the way to your matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And then Jesus throws in some humor. You blind guys straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Tithing was an Old Testament uh, law given to God's people. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The word tithe simply means a tenth. It was a way of worshiping God with a tenth of your crops, a tenth of your income, a tenth of your produce, and acknowledging God with your first fruits, acknowledging he was the giver of all. The tithe was a good thing. The Pharisees were so meticulous about their tithing, they would even tithe on their little garden herbs, like the mint and dill, and these weren't big agricultural crops, just little garden herbs. They'd tithe on those little things. Jesus actually doesn't rebuke them for that. And one of the only things I know of he ever commended the Pharisees for, he says, these you ought to have done. Not bad to tithe, it's good. The problem is you've neglected the weightier, more important things taught by the law. What the law is really bringing us to is things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. You ought to have done the tithing, but you neglected the others. You blind guides, he says, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. What he's saying is you're worried about little things, but not the big things, the justice, the love. The, the, the mercy, the faithfulness. You strain out a nap, but you swallow a camel. Worrying about the little things, disregarding the big things. They placed outward religious observances over inward heart change. Jesus goes on to say this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, 
but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Again, they had lots of rules about washings, ritual washings, pots, pans, hand washing. He says you clean all the cups, but, but inwardly you're holding on to greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, but the outside may also be clean. Jesus continues, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within they're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Greed, self-indulgence, hypocrisy, lawlessness, Outwardly, you're showing yourselves to be the best keepers of the law. You got the titles, you got the phylacteries on your forehead and arm and the fringes on your garments, bragging about your law keeping, how much you know, how holy you are, calling yourselves the separated ones. But inwardly, hypocrisy, greed, self-indulgence. Just like a tomb that looks really nice on the outside, whitewashed, decorated, Inside, dead bones. Furthermore, the Pharisees justified others, justified themselves rather, and treated others with contempt. Now, here I'm moving from Matthew chapter 23 for a moment to, to share what I think is probably Jesus' best known parable about the Pharisees. And it's really a, a, a parable that gives us a vivid picture of a Pharisee and really almost a definition of what a Pharisee is. It's found in Luke chapter 18. We read that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. We could say almost that that's a definition of a Pharisee, at least the ones with whom Jesus was at odds. They trusted in their own righteousness, looked down on other people, treated them with contempt. Jesus said two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. He's bragging to God, isn't he? <laughs> but the tax collector standing afar off wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Pharisee was self-righteous. He treated others with contempt. Always ask God to search your heart if you find yourself looking on another person or group of people with contempt. Always ask God to search your heart. They justified themselves, looked on others with contempt. The root issue of the Pharisees was pride, spiritual pride. They lacked the awareness that the gospel of Jesus Christ was leveling the playing field. The Pharisees said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Other men. But what does the gospel of Jesus tell us? There's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short 
of the glory of God. Pharisee, Sadducee, tax collector, prostitute, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The gospel levels the playing field. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have not only fallen short of the glory of God, but Paul goes on to say, are also justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus suffered on the cross and shed his own sinless blood and died in our place to redeem us. We stand guilty before God and all of us in need of God's grace provided through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. The gospel puts us on level ground. There's no place for pride in a person who has received God's grace, only humility and gratitude. Finally, we could say this about the Pharisees in kind of summing up who they were and what they were like. Generally speaking, and I say generally because not all Pharisees were bad. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. You read about him in the Gospel of John. Uh, he's the one to whom Jesus said, you must be born again or born from above. He's the one who came to Jesus uh, after his death and helped uh, care for his body, anointing it with fragrances and so forth. Nicodemus, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee prior to his conversion. But generally speaking, the Pharisees were people of law without grace and truth without love. Because of this, Pharisees dealt harshly with those who were considered, quote, sinners. Likewise, it seems to me that Christians who are Pharisaical that is, Christians who act like Pharisees, and I've known some over the years, maybe you have too, they don't relate well to unbelievers. Unbelievers are rarely ever comfortable talking to them. Because if there's not much love, there's not much fruitful evangelism. The self-righteous have a hard time reaching unreached people. Randy Alcorn has written a, a, a good little book called The Grace and Truth Paradox when he talks about the importance of holding to truth by showing grace toward those with whom we disagree. And he shares something that actually happened at uh, the church where he had served as pastor. <clears throat> this took place uh, some years ago. But the church that he was serving was uh, very active in the pro-life movement. And they were kind of known in their community for that because they had had a few members that would go down to abortion clinics and hold up signs like consider adoption or will help financially and this sort of thing. And um, some other groups in town, some pro-abortion groups, decided they would picket Alcorn's church one day on a Sunday morning. And this got out in the community. It was known in the community. It was a rainy Sunday morning. And um, he said, so what we decided to do, because we knew we were going to be picketed as a church that day, we set up tables outside. We made coffee. We bought donuts. We brought out umbrellas. And we just wanted to um, talk with the people who showed up to picket our church. And he talks about a man named Charles that was holding a, a sign that said, keep abortion legal. And he said, 
he and I talked for a long time. He said, we talked a little about abortion, but a lot about Christ. I explained the gospel to Charles, and he gave me his address and later sent him some materials. He said, but something else happened that morning while we were trying to reach out to the people who had come to picket our church. Another group of picketers showed up. There was a small group of street preachers in town that were pretty harsh and pretty legalistic, and they came out, he said, to take on the abortion activists. And they showed up at our church shouting hell and damnation toward them. And while he says there was a little truth in some of their message that certainly lacked grace, he said, one of the street preachers barged between my daughter and me just when we finally had an opportunity to share the gospel with someone. The door of witnessing was slammed in our faces. He writes, we tried to reason with the street preachers. After all, this was our church, and we didn't want them screaming at our guests. Most cooperated, but a few decided we were waffling on truth and it was an abomination for us to offer coffee and donuts to people who needed to be rebuked. The following Sunday, two street preachers actually picketed our church to scold us for our pathetic attempts at donut and coffee evangelism. They said, so after 21 years with no picketing at our church, our picketed church was picketed two weeks in a row, first by radically liberal uh, non-believers and the other by well, we might say Pharisees. He said, some people hate truth, others hate grace. Jesus loves both. The question I'd like to raise this morning before we close is this. How can you and I be truth and love believers? We hold to the truth of God's word. We hold it fast. We don't change our views with the changing culture around us. But we love the people. We deal with grace toward them. We're seeking to follow the one who came, the Bible says, and was full of grace and truth, Jesus. First of all, value God's word over all other influences. Religious traditions, they will change. Cultural trends, they will change. Popular opinions, they will change. God's word is forever settled in heaven. It will not change. Jesus again said, Scripture cannot be broken. Thy word is truth. If we depart from Scriptures, what foundation do we have on which to stand? Secondly, follow Jesus' example. Follow his example of compassion for people. Seek to see people as Jesus does. See people through a gospel lens. How did Jesus relate to people on the outside, people who were not in any way religious? How did Jesus relate to the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus? Well, he said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I want to go to your house for dinner today. How did he relate to the Samaritan woman at the well who had committed adultery many times and to whom Jesus said, you've had five husbands. The man you live with now is not your husband at all. He befriended her. She was shocked. She said, how is it that you, a male, a Jew, speak with me, a woman of Samaria? And then, of course, there's a time when the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in the act of adultery and laid her at Jesus' feet and said, the law says she should be stunned. She was caught in adultery in the very act. What do you say? He said, let the one who's without sin among you 
cast the first stone. They grew silent and one after the other walked away and Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, but I don't condone the continuation in sin either. Grace and truth, truth and grace. Follow Jesus' example. Number three. Ask God to search your heart and to reveal attitudes of pride, hypocrisy, judgmentalism. A Pharisee doesn't think he's a Pharisee. <laughs> that is, a Pharisee doesn't see in himself the things that Jesus sees, the hypocrisy, the desire to impress other people. Spiritual pride can remain deeply hidden in our lives. We may not know we have it. And so we need to ask God to search our hearts. As King David prays in Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And finally then, guard against the desire for human approval over giving glory to God. This desire to impress people that was so great in the Pharisees was a significant part of their problem. Jesus said to the Jewish people who did not accept him, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Broad phylacteries, long fringes, honored seats, titles, these things matter to Pharisees. Let us not be like them. What matters to God is humility. Truth, love. Let's be people like that. May it be. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we come in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May your word be like water that washes us. May it be spiritual food that builds us. May your Holy Spirit take your word and shape us, transform us, that we not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we be conformed to the likeness of your Son, Father, our Lord Jesus. Make us more like him. I pray today for anyone here who's never placed his or her faith in Jesus Christ alone. For salvation. Would you today bring that one to a saving trust in you, Lord? Direct our steps. Guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name.